For there, in Isaiah chapter 28, and you know, as I was studying for this sermon tonight, I uh, had this problem that Isaiah 28 has a lot of uh, good things in it, but a lot of kind of random things in it, a lot of different things that Isaiah 28 talks about. And I was just having a problem trying to figure out how am I going to present this? You know, as a a pastor, your job is to communicate truth. And the point of coming to church is uh, for you to be able to learn something that you can go home uh, and, and have learned something. And I decided to actually take some advice from Isaiah 28. And let me just show you just real quickly. If you look at verse number 10, the Bible says in Isaiah 28 and verse 10, these are very, this is a very popular verse. It says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And what the Bible is teaching here, that word precept means a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought. The word line in this context is referring to like a border or a boundary, something that you learn that causes you to kind of be cautious of, to have that boundary, to not cross that. And what the Bible is teaching here is that you and I, the way we learn in the most effective style of teaching and preaching, and and what we try to do at Verity Baptist Church is not to for you to come to one church service and for us to just kind of unload everything that we believe in one sermon, and I'm going to give you 27 points about, you know, what it means to be a Christian, but we try to just every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, when you come to church, to just learn one precept, to kind of you know, put down one line. And we're just going to go precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Look at verse 13, Isaiah 28 and verse 13. He says, but the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So the Bible teaches that the best way to teach the Bible is not to, you know, uh, my wife, and I sometimes we'll listen to preaching and we'll go somewhere and we'll listen to a sermon and uh, and, and you know we'll say what, what do you think of that sermon and we're like well it's a, it's a great series you know because sometimes you go you listen to preaching and it's just information overload you just get too much and sometimes I fear we give too much information and and and, and people just kind of get overwhelmed and don't do anything with it and what we try to do at Verity Baptist Church is just give you one thought you know uh, Lord willing you walked out of here this morning and you had this one thought that we are not to be covetous that we are not to you know, love the things of this world, that if it's from this world, it'll stay in this world. Maybe last week, you know, you learned about not tempting God and not accusing God falsely, you know, and realizing that God has your best intention in mind. Maybe the week before that, you learned about, uh, you know, the, the, our flesh and the desires of our flesh and how we can feed the flesh and feed the spirit. So we try to just give you one thought, and that's how you learn. And by the way, that's why you can't expect to come to one church service and learn what you need. You need to come every Sunday. You need to come Sunday nights. You need to come Wednesday night. Because every time you come, we're going to give you one precept. We're going to give you one thought. We're going to give you just here a little, there a little. And as you learn, and as you grow, and as you understand, then you'll be able to uh, get what the Bible needs, and you'll begin to learn and understand. Not only that, but in this chapter, uh, if you look at verse 9, there's this interesting verse. Verse 9 says this, Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Now, the word doctrine is talking about teaching, 
Precept upon precept, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. He says, whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he um, uh, make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. This is one of the reasons at Verity Baptist Church, we have what's called a family integrated church. We keep the entire family together. Even little babies, we want them in the service. We have the mother baby rooms there, and those are meant for moms to be able to use those rooms, to be able to teach their children to sit still. The goal is for them to be able to come out. The goal is not to have a 12-year-old in the mother baby room. It's for moms to go in there and teach their children to come out into the service because we want every child in the service. You say, well, even the little ones, here Isaiah says in verse 9, whom shall we teach knowledge and whom shall we make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. The youngest child that is still nursing, we want them in church. We want to teach them doctrine. We want them. And you say, well, how are you going to teach a child? Same way we teach an adult. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And so tonight, instead of trying to preach the entire, you know, book, chapter of Isaiah 28 with all the random things that it has, I want to focus in on one thought, one idea that is dealt with in Isaiah 28 in a major way. Look at verse number one, Isaiah 28 and verse number one. The Bible says this, woe to the crown of pride. And I want you to notice this phrase to the drunkards of Ephraim. Isaiah says, woe to the drunkards of Ephraim. Look at verse number 2, Isaiah 28 and verse number 2. He says, I'm sorry, not verse 2, verse 3. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under foot. And tonight I just want to lay down one precept, one thought. And I want to speak to you about this idea of the sin of drunkenness. The sin of drunkenness. And you know, this sermon is the most, the, the, obviously it's for everybody and we all need it, but the, the most important people I'm preaching to right now are the children. Because Isaiah said, whom shall we teach knowledge and whom shall we make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk, them that are drawn from the breast. And let me just, you know, it's Sunday night, it, you know, it's, it's kind of our, our family night, our, our home crowd. But let me just ask this. If you are a child that is, you know, living at home with your parents, will you raise your hand if you're in the service? You're a child that is living at home. Some of you are confused. If you, if you're not, if you don't pay rent, I'm talking to you, okay? If you don't write out a check, all right? All these kids, all those hands that went up, I want you to sit up. I want you to listen. All right, you can put your hands down. I didn't say Simon Says. No, I'm saying, you know. All these kids that raise their hands, I want you to sit up, and I want you to listen to what I have to say tonight. Because you're who I'm preaching to. And you're who, the most important person that can learn this idea of the sin of drunkenness is uh, children. Because the Bible warns against being a drunk and warns against being a drunkard. Isaiah said, woe to the drunkards of Ephraim. That word woe means, hey, stop, you know, listen, this is not good. There's impending doom. He says, woe to the drunkards of Ephraim. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 28. Go with me real quickly to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 23. When you get to Proverbs, put your bulletin or a ribbon or something in Proverbs because we're going to leave Proverbs or we're going to be coming back to Proverbs throughout the sermon so you're in Isaiah 28 and go to Proverbs 23. And let me just kind of lay a foundation for this idea. <coughs> because a lot of people are confused about this idea of drunkenness and alcohol. Proverbs 23, and if you look at verse number 29, one of the most uh, well-known passages in the Bible dealing with alcohol, Proverbs 23. And like I said, when you get to Proverbs, put a bulletin or a ribbon or something there because we're going to leave Proverbs. We're going to come back to it. Proverbs 23 and verse 29, the Bible says this, Who hath woe? Asking a question. Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? 
that they, te- uh, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Now I want you to make note of verse 31. The Bible says, look not thou upon the wine. Now, the way that that verse is phrased, it's, first, it's, it's phrased in a command form. It's not suggesting, but it's telling you, it's commanding you to not look upon the wine. When it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and, strike, and stingeth like an adder. The Bible teaches that, there, that we should not even look at wine. Now, do you think that if the Bible says to not look at wine, you know, it probably doesn't want, you know, God probably doesn't want you to drink wine, okay? And it says here, look not thou upon the wine. Now, a lot of people today, and a lot of Christians, unfortunately, have this idea, and they say, well, the Bible does not forbid drinking alcohol. It only forbids becoming a drunk. It only forbids being a drunk. But here the Bible tells us about a wine that we are not even supposed to look at, okay? It says, look not thou upon the wine. And people often, you know, uh, will say to me, well, didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And here's what you need to understand about wine. You're, you're there in Proverbs. Keep, keep something in Proverbs. Go back to Isaiah, but go to Isaiah 65 and look at verse number 8, and we'll just show you these things kind of to lay the foundation about what we believe about alcohol in regards to the Bible. Here's what you need to understand. Our King James Bible was translated in 1611, uh, you know, 400 years ago, and when the Bible was translated into the English language in 1611, you know, there was other English translations before that, obviously, but when, when it was brought in during that time uh, of, of the 1600s, the word wine was often used to not only talk about alcohol, but it was also used to talk about juice. Let me prove it to you. You're there in Isaiah 65. Look at verse number 8. Isaiah 65 and verse number 8. Isaiah 65 and verse 8 says this, Thus saith the Lord God, as the new wine, notice this, is found in the cluster. Now, when a grape, it's attached to its root and it's in that cluster, okay, it's not fermented. Fermentation and alcohol comes from allowing wine to go bad, you know, from allowing it to ferment and, and, and to get corrupted. Here the Bible tells us that you can find wine in the cluster. You can find wine in grapes that are still connected to its roots and are, they, they've not gone bad. They're not dead. It says this new wine is found in the cluster and one say it, destroy it not for a blessing is in it. So will I uh, do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. So here we see that the What's, what's found in the cluster of a grape, God refers to that in Isaiah 65, as, in verse 8, as wine. Go to Song of Solomon, chapter 8. If, if you kept your place in Proverbs, uh, right after Proverbs, you got Ecclesiastes, and after Ecclesiastes, you have the Song of Solomon. Let me show you the Song of Solomon and look at verse number 8. Now, here's what you got to understand. The word juice, you know, existed, obviously, in 1611, but it was not the common word that was used. It was, it was a word that was just, you know, just like today, there are words that exist, but we don't use them in our common verbiage. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and verse 2, uh, we find the word, the only reference in our King James Bible to the word juice in the Bible. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, look at verse number 2. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible says, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house. This is, you know, the, the, the love story between uh, Solomon and, and, and his wife there. He, he, she says, I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. Now, notice what she says. I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine 
of the juice of my pomegranate. Do you see that? Now, you got to understand this. The wine and the juice are being used interchangeably there. It's talking about the same drink. Jesus said, I would cause thee to drink of the spiced wine, of the juice, of my pomegranates. Okay? So the Bible there tells us and uses these words, wine and juice, interchangeably. Because here's what you got to understand. When our King James Bible was translated, the word wine was often used for what you and I would commonly refer to as juice today. And by the way, that ought to tell you that these new Bible versions are just, uh, you know, a facade and they're fake. If it was really about updating the language, why wouldn't they update all the, ver- all the times the word wine is used in Scripture and it's referring to juice? Why wouldn't they re- update it to juice, you know, and I'll tell you why they don't want to update it, because they want to drink alcohol, you know, they want to be able to say, well, Jesus turned water into wine, but look, if Jesus turned water into wine in John, and in Proverbs, the Bible tells us to not even look at wine, would that not make Jesus a sinner, if it's the same wine, but according to Song of Solomon, juice is referred to as wine, According to Isaiah 65 and verse 8, you can find wine, which is found in the cluster. So here's what you got to understand. In the Bible, the vast majority of time when you read the word wine, it's just referring to juice. Now, there are times when it's referring to alcohol. You say, well, how would I know the difference? When it's telling you not to look at it, when it's telling you not to drink it, when it's talking about it in a negative connotation, it's alcohol. But when it's talking about, you know, uh, they woke up and, and, and they, you know, they had juice with their, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I don't know, wine, I, I should have picked out some verses as examples. Oftentimes, the word wine is in reference to, uh, to juice. Go to John chapter 2. Let me show you uh, the story of Jesus turning water into wine. Because here's what, here's what people, what everybody says. They say it, they don't practice it. They say it, they don't necessarily believe it. But here's what everybody says. You can drink wine, you can drink alcohol, but it has to be in moderation. And no one that I've ever heard, you know, I'm talking about liberal Christians that teach on this subject. No one, they all say the same thing. God is against drunkenness. He's not, you can drink alcohol in moderation, but you're not supposed to get drunk. You know, you can have a little bit, but you're not supposed to get wasted. And that's why Jesus turned water into wine. Well, look at the story of Jesus turning water into wine. John chapter 2, in which he, he was his first miracle, by the way. John chapter 2. And let's just read the story so you can catch something there with me. John chapter 2 and verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, John chapter 2, verse 3, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whosoever, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with juice. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now. And bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now, notice verse 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he knew not whence it was. The word whence there means where it came from. He didn't know where it came from, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto them, Every man at the beginning doth set good wine, and when, make note of this phrase, when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. So, according to the governor that's at this marriage, when did Jesus bring out the good wine? 
after they had well drunk, right? So people say this, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so therefore it's okay to drink alcohol in moderation. You just can't get drunk. But the story is this. They're at a wedding that they already had wine, and they've, they're well drunk. In fact, they've, they've drunk everything dry. There's no more wine. Wine left over. So do you think that Jesus would be like, oh, they're out of alcohol here. Let me make him six more barrels for them to drink. I mean, wouldn't that put you into the category of drunkenness? If you drink all the wine that there is, and then he's going to just give you six more barrels. Here you go, guys. You know, party's on me. Here's, here's another tap, okay? I mean, it's silly to think that Jesus just, you know, brought six kegs to this wedding, okay? It's really, and, and that would put you, I don't know if you understand this, but that would put you in the category of being a drunk. So even, even the liberal Christian that says, well, you can drink alcohol in moderation, but you can't be drunk. I don't know. To me, you know, if you drink everything that we have and then you bring six more, you know, kegs into the thing, um, that's, you're acting like a drunk. All right. So I don't necessarily believe that Jesus is bringing uh, alcohol to this wedding because the Bible, like we already saw, you can refers to wine as being in the cluster. It refers to wine as juice. I mean, Song of Solomon too. Uh, you approves that. So you've got to understand this. When Jesus turned water into wine, I do not believe he was referring to alcohol. I believe it was referring to, uh, to, to juice. All right. And that's why in Proverbs, it tells us that there is a wine that you should not look at. Now, what's he talking about? Welch's grape juice? No. He's talking about alcohol. He says, don't look at it. Go back to Isaiah 28. Look at verse 1. I just want to kind of lay that foundation because a lot of people think, well, I don't understand why you guys preach against drinking alcohol. Because drinking alcohol is wicked, and the Bible teaches us that there are sins associated with drinking alcohol. And there are five sins in this chapter that are highlighted to us by uh, Isaiah, and I want to look at them quickly tonight. Isaiah 28, look at verse number 1. The Bible says this, Woe to the crown of pride and to, to the drunkards. The first sin that comes with drinking alcohol is the sin of pride. The Bible says about these drunkards that they have a crown of pride. Look at verse number three. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. The Bible says if you are a drunkard, you have a crown of pride. You're you're then Isaiah 28. Go back to Isaiah chapter 5 and look at verse number 22. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 22. You'll find something that, you know, uh, you'll hear a lot of people say today. Isaiah 5 and verse 22 says this. Isaiah 5.22 says this, woe, woe unto them. Isaiah 5.22. And notice how this word, woe, woe is like a major word in scripture. Woe is meant to get your attention. Woe is, God doesn't just throw the word woe around. When he says woe, he's trying to tell you, hey, this is you need to be careful. You need to understand. You need to stop right now and realize that this is a bad thing. And notice how he keeps using the word woe when it comes to alcohol. Isaiah 5.22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Today people walk around saying, oh, I, I can hold down my beer. I, you know, I can control when I drink alcohol. I can control it. And you know what comes with drinking alcohol? The sin of pride. And if you're running around telling people, well, I can drink all this and it doesn't affect me. All you're telling us is you're a drunkard. All you're telling us is that you're a drunk. Because everybody knows if, if someone has never drunk you know, alcohol ever in their life and they take one beer, it's going to affect them. The only reason you can hold down your beer is because you've been drinking for a long time. It's because you're a drunk. It's because you showed up at the wedding with six kegs. And people had to you know, have an intervention and say, hey, look, you've got a problem. This is not normal. All right. 
What, do we, what is associated in the Bible with alcohol? Number one, we see the sin of pride. People walk around. I'm mighty to drink. I'm a man of strength. I can hold down my alcohol. But number two, go back to Isaiah 28, look at verse 1 again. Not only do we see the sin of pride, but I want you to see this. And this is something that we don't talk a lot about, but the Bible, it's interesting because God talks about it in, in Isaiah. There's the sin of destroying your body. There's the sin of destroying your body. Look at Isaiah 28. And I'm not just talking about, you know, um, you know, your liver, although obviously that's a big deal. And the Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost and you ought to take care of your body. But I'm just talking about destroying your body in the way where it just makes you ugly, where it just makes you look bad. Notice what God says in Isaiah 28. You know, ladies want to read all those magazines about all these tips on how to be pretty and how to look young or whatever. If you read the Bible, God will give you some tips. Isaiah 28, look at verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim. Notice what he says. Whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. Do you see that? The Bible says you, were, you did have glorious beauty, but because you're a drunk, it's fading like a flower. Look at verse 4, Isaiah 28 and verse 4. The glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he looketh upon it, seeth while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. The Bible says that if you drink alcohol, your beauty, listen to me, young people. Because the adult, they're already old and ugly, they don't care. But you young kids, you know, you're, you, you look nice, you're, you're young, you've got beauty. But let me tell you something, you want to get rid of your beauty, you want to get rid of your youth, you want to look, you want to just look messed up, you want to look ugly, give yourself to alcohol to mess you up. The Bible says your beauty will become a fading flower. Let me read for you uh, an uh, excerpt from an article uh, entitled, Here's How Alcohol Wrecks Your Skin. Now, this is not a Christian article. This is from the Huffington Post. It was not written from a Christian perspective, but let me just read this for you. It says, what is alcohol really doing to our skin? We decided to talk to David, Dr. David Colbert, founder of the New York Dermatology Group, Dr. Dre, uh, Deborah Jellemin, author of Skin Rules, the tra- Trade Secrets from the Top New York Dermatologist, and Dr. Jessica Krant, assistant clinical professor of dermatology at Sunny Downstate Medical Center. Keep in mind, this is not written from a Christian perspective, but it's interesting what they said. They said this, right off the bat, Dr. Colbert burst, burst the champagne bubble uh, And he said this, it may make you feel good, but alcohol is a hepatotoxin, meaning it specifically damages the liver, he explained. It's a toxin to the cells that detoxify your body. How does this affect your skin? One way to look at it, Dr. Colbert said, is to ask, what does someone look like who is dying of liver failure? They're sallow, they're pasty, they're cold, their pores are huge. Alcohol also contains uh, congeners, said Dr. Colbert, chemical substance uh, that produce, produce during the fermentation process that contribute to liquor's unique taste and smell. Congeners are, in the main, are the main cause of hangovers, so the more congeners in your liquor, the worse your hangover and the worse you look the next morning. On top of that, Dr. Jaliman pointed out, all alcohol dehydrates the skin. This means your skin will appear less plump and fresh the next morning. Between the congeners, the liver damage, and the dehydration, it's clear alcohol does damage to our skin, is what they said. And these are, these are not fundamental Baptists. These are just doctors saying, hey, if, here's what they're saying. If you drink alcohol, your beauty is going to be like a fading flower. 
you're going to look messed up. And listen to me, the, you know, uh, and people get to say, you, you can tell when people are drunks. I mean, you know, you young people, and just, I, I'm t- I really, if I could just, you know, keep one young person in this room from one day tasting alcohol or drinking alcohol. But listen to me, you want to grow up and have a big, fat, red nose? You want to have bloodshot eyes? You want a big, you know, because here's what the world does. The world, you know, they promote alcohol as like everyone who drinks alcohol is good looking. You know, all the advertisements, all the billboards, all the commercials, you know, everybody's young, everyone's fit, everyone's, you know, just like this bodybuilder, everybody's looking good. But the truth is, if you drink alcohol, you're going to have a beer gut. If you drink alcohol, you're going to be, you know, out of shape. If you drink alcohol, your beauty is going to fade. It's going to mess you up. And Jesus warns against it. He's, the Bible warns against it. He says there's a sin of pride, but there's a sin of destroying your beauty. And by the way, God made you the way he wants you to be. We were created in the image of God, and it's not right for you to consume something that makes you, you know, look bad and destroys your body. So number one, we see the sin of pride. Number two, we see the sin of destroying your body. Number three, look at verse number seven, Isaiah 28 and verse seven. We see the sin of not being in control. We see the sin of not being in control. Today they say, you know, being under the substance or control of the substance. Look at Isaiah 28. Look at verse 7. The Bible says this. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priests and the prophets have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. It's talking about the fact that they can't think right. They can't control themselves. They're making all these mistakes. They're stumbling in judgment. They're erring in vision. You know, and, and even the world will tell you, you start drinking alcohol, what's going to go? Your judgment, your reflexes. You're not going to be in control anymore. Go back to Proverbs 23. Look at verse number 33. Proverbs 23 and verse number 33. Proverbs 23 and verse 33. If you kept your place there in Proverbs, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 23 and verse 33. The Bible says this. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. The Bible says if you start drinking alcohol, you're not going to be in control anymore. You're going to begin to look at things you shouldn't look at. You're going to begin to say things you shouldn't say. You're going to be in a position of being taken advantage of. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, one of those minor prophets. If you can find, you know, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Look at Habakkuk chapter number 2. Alcohol puts you in a position of not being in control. And by the way, alcohol puts you in a position of being vulnerable to being taken advantage of. In Habakkuk chapter number 2 and verse number 15, the Bible says this. Habakkuk chapter number 2 and verse number 15, the Bible says, notice, notice how this word keeps coming up. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink. Now notice what he says. He says, woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him. So here you got a neighbor going to his neighbor saying, here, why don't you drink this? Let me give you this bottle so you can drink this. And makest him drunk also, notice, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Do you see that? I mean, how many young people 
have been taken advantage because they gave in to drinking alcohol and then they were molested or they were taken advantage or they were raped because they were put themselves in a position where they didn't even know what was happening. The Bible says here very clearly that there is a neighbor, there is a friend, there is a co-worker, there is an individual that will come to you and offer you alcohol. Listen to me, young people. They'll offer you something to drink for the purpose of trying to take advantage of you. And in this passage, it's not, you know, it's not even the guy, you know, trying to date rape or whatever, a girl. Notice Habakkuk 2.15. It says, Woe unto him, male, that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, male. You got a male trying to offer alcohol to another male and make his him, male, drunk also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Here you got a sodomite trying to get, get their friend or their neighbor drunk for the purpose of taking advantage of them. Now obviously that's wicked and obviously that's wrong, but you ought never put yourself in a position where you are not in control of your body, where you don't understand what's going on to you, where you can't defend yourself. You should never you know, bring a substance into your body that puts you in that position. It's wrong to drink something. And by the way, we're talking about alcohol tonight, but apply that to any drug of your choice. Any drug, any, you know, it's wrong for you to consume something that allows people to take advantage of you. Go, go to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19, first book in the New Testament. Genesis 19. We have the story of Lot. Remember, Lot came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's funny how alcohol is associated with sodomy. He comes out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 31, the Bible says this. Genesis 19 and verse 31. Genesis 19 and verse 31, the Bible says, And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. So God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot and his two daughters, because remember, the only ones that he could get to follow him were the two daughters that were living with him. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. So he's with his two daughters, and they think that God destroyed the entire earth. They, they, these girls think that they're the only ones left on earth. And they're saying, you know, there's no one. We're not going to be able to marry anyone. You know, um, it's only us two and our dad. Look at verse 32. And they do something extremely wicked. Come. Let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. You say, well, how can two daughters think that way? Look, you allow your daughters to be, you know, raised in the world, and you allow them to just have access to the world, and you raise them in Sodom, and you let them be part of that, and you let them watch whatever you, they want on television. You let them have access to the Internet. You put them in these public school systems and just say, tell, you just tell the world, you know, uh, just go ahead and teach my children, and they're going to end up doing wicked things. Because these daughters, I mean, they're not thinking there's anything wrong with this, but they grew up in Sodom. Look at verse 33. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. Now notice, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. He's drunk, and he doesn't even perceive when his, da- his own daughter takes advantage of him, and when she lays down with him, and when she arose. Look at verse 34. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. Now you say, well, I don't, should you really be preaching this when there's kids in the room? Listen to me. 
The, you kids need to know this. Don't ever put yourself in a position by taking alcohol and drinking something where someone could literally take advantage of you and you don't even know it. You don't perceive when they lie down or when they come in. People use alcohol to take advantage of people. So associated with alcohol, we see, number one, the sin of pride. We see, number two, the sin of destroying your body. We see, number three, the sin of being under the control of a substance or not being in control of your own body. Number four, go back to Isaiah 28. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 28 and verse 1. There's the sin of being addicted. The sin of addiction. The sin of giving yourself to a sin that you cannot control. There are some sins, there are some things that are addictive. In Isaiah 28 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them, notice this phrase, that are overcome with wine. See, the problem with alcohol is this. You say, you say, well, I'm just a social drinker. Listen to me, every drunk started as a social drinker. You don't, you don't wake up. You know, one day, I've never drank alcohol, and today I'm just, you know, I'm just going to drink from morning to night. You start off with your, well, I just have a glass of wine with my dinner. And then it's two, and then it's three, and then you're drinking in the morning, and then you're drinking all day long, and then you're drunk. Because the Bible says that you become overcome with wine. Look at verse 7. Isaiah 28 and verse 7. But they also have erred through wine. And through strong drink are out of the way. The priests and the prophets have erred through strong drink. Notice what it says. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. The Bible says that alcohol, wine, will overcome you. It will swallow you up. You will become addicted. Go to Isaiah chapter 5. Look at verse number 11. You're there in Isaiah 28. Go to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 11. Isaiah 5 and verse 11. Listen to me. You don't want to go down the road of drinking something that's going to to swallow you up and overcome you and you'll be addicted and you can't even control yourself. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 11. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 11. It's interesting how this word keeps coming up. Woe unto them. Notice that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink. You know there are people that wake up in the morning and the first thing that they don't go for a cup of coffee, they go for alcohol. You know what that's called? A drunk. That's a drunkard. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. All day long, all they can do is drink and drink and drink. You say, well, why does that happen? Because wine will overcome you. Wine will swallow you up. You'll become addicted to it. Go to Proverbs 23. Do you keep your place in Proverbs 23? Go to Proverbs 23. Look at verse number 35. Proverbs 23 and verse number 35. Proverbs 23 and verse number 35. Proverbs 23 and verse 35 says this, They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. Now notice what it says, the last part of Proverbs 23 and verse uh, 35. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. The problem with alcohol is this, it leads to pride. It destroys your body. It causes you to not be in control of yourself. And it causes you to be addicted to the point where you wake up and you've got a drink. You go to work and you've got a drink. You, you, and, and, oh, uh, you know, I just I have a drinking problem. Why don't you call it what the Bible calls it? You're a drunk. You're a drunkard. It's a sin. It's wrong. And it'll ruin your life. Number five, look at Isaiah 28 and look at verse number eight. 
Not only is there a sin of pride, not only is there a sin of destroying your body, not only is there a sin of being under the control of a substance, not only is there a sin of being addicted to something, but there's a sin, and I don't, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know, I, sometimes my sermons are a little more eloquent than this, but I can't, couldn't figure out another way to say it. There's just a sin of being a sorry mess. Look at Isaiah 28, look at verse 8. I just want you to see how the Bible, because look, I know how Budweiser shows alcohol. You know, Budweiser advertises alcohol. Everything's clean. Everything's nice. Everyone's fit. We're at the beach. You know, we're at the pool. We're all in great shape. And, you know, we're all drinking alcohol. I I know how Coors, you know, and and all these different companies, they advertise alcohol like it's fun. It's the party. It's great. But here's what they don't show you. And here's what God highlights when he talks about alcohol. Isaiah 28 and verse 8. It says this. Listen up, children. Here's what alcohol produces. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Does that sound like fun to you kids? Does this sound fun to go hang out somewhere where everybody's drinking and people are throwing up and it smells like urine and it's disgusting and people got beer guts and beer bellies and big fat red noses and they're going around, they're not in control, they're being taken back and then the next day they throw up in the toilet and they can't remember what happened the night before. But that's fun. That's a good time. According, you understand how messed up our world is? Go drink something, and you won't remember what you did. You won't remember what was done to you. You're going to wake up, you know, bowing before the porcelain god of the toilet, you know, puking out and spewing out what you just drank last night. But that's a good time. But going to church and being around God's people, what's wrong with you? Our world is messed up. Our world is insane. And people would listen to me preach this sermon today and say, I can't believe that you're preaching this. But listen to me. You're crazy if you think it's normal to take a drink that makes you addicted, that allows you to be vulnerable to predators, that causes you to say perverse things, that brings pride into your life, and it, and it destroys your body on top of that. It makes you look old. It destroys your liver. It destroys your health. But, we're, but you know, it's what everybody's doing, and it is what everybody's doing. That's why we need to preach against it. Amen. Look at Isaiah 19. Look at verse 14. Isaiah 19. You're there in Isaiah 28. Look at Isaiah 19 and verse number 14. Isaiah 19 and verse 14. Because see, God paints a different picture about alcohol. With God, it's not, it's not this glamorous thing. In fact, God says it's filthy. He says the tables are full of vomit. It's filthiness. There's no place clean. Isaiah 19 and verse 14. Isaiah 19 and verse 14. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof. Notice what he says. As a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. Say, how does God describe alcohol? A drunken man staggering in his own vomit. And I know our world thinks it's cool, and our world thinks it's hip, and our world, but listen to me, kids, if I can just get this into your head, it's not cool, it's not hip, it's disgusting, it's vomiting, it's, not, it's, it's allowing people and opening yourself up to be taken advantage of. Don't do it. Just don't even go down that road. Jeremiah, you're there in Isaiah, the next book is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, look at verse number 27. Jeremiah 25 and verse number 27. Jeremiah 25 and verse 27. Jeremiah 25 and verse 27. The Bible says this, Jeremiah 25 and verse 27. Jeremiah 25 and verse 27 says this, Therefore thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Notice what he says. Drink ye, and be drunken, and spew, and fall, and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you. 
You say, well, how does God, what does God think about alcohol? Here's what he thinks. You're going to stagger. You're going to fall. You're going to spew. You're going to vomit. He says it's filthiness. He says there's no place clean. He said you'll, you'll fall and you'll rise no more. Does it sound like God thinks it's a positive thing? Does it sound like God thinks, you know, this is a good, this is a, this is a good thing for society? See, in this chapter, we see Isaiah teaching us that with alcohol, there's a sin of pride. And with alcohol, there's a sin of destroying your body. And with alcohol, there's a sin of being under a substance when you are not in control. And with alcohol, there's a sin of being addicted. And with alcohol, there's a sin of just becoming a sorry mess, of being the guy that's staggering in his own vomit, that smells like urine, that, you know, in, in, in our world, and, and here's what our world says. That's, a, oh, you're, you're turning 21. Let's go get you drunk. Listen to me. Listen to me. Somebody offers you alcohol, run screaming and yelling in the other direction because they're trying to ruin your life. They're trying to destroy your life. Go to Revelation. We're going to look at three passages. We'll be done. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I don't know what part of that sounds like a fun Friday night to people. I'm going to go into this room where everybody's drunk and everybody smells bad and everybody looks ugly. They got a drink to, you know, trick themselves into thinking they're good looking. It's not, it's not, and here's the point I'm trying to make. It's not for you. It's not for me. Because in Christ, we're better than that. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says this. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. Now notice this phrase. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Are you under that category tonight? Could you say, I have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I am a believer. My, you know, I, now, if that's you tonight, then verse 6 applies to you. Notice. And hath made us. Who? Who's the us there? Those who have been washed from our sins in his own blood. He said, and hath made us, notice, notice what he made us. He made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible says that if you have been washed in the blood of Christ, you have been made in Christ a king and a priest. Did everybody catch that? You have been made a king and a priest. Go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, just real quickly, we'll be done. We'll look at a passage in Proverbs, we'll look at a passage in Leviticus. Hopefully you kept your place in Proverbs. Proverbs 31. Well, I don't know that the Bible is really saying that I shouldn't drink alcohol. I mean, maybe I can drink a little bit. Okay, well, according to the Bible, you're a king, right? According to the Bible, you're a priest, right? Proverbs 31 and verse 1, the Bible says this. Proverbs 31 and verse 1, the Bible says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him, what, my son? Now, this is, the, we believe that this is Song of Solomon. I mean, oh, good night, Song of Solomon. We believe that this is Solomon. You say, why is he called Lemuel? I don't know. It's a weird nickname his mom gave him or something. I don't know. But here you have a mother speaking to her son who is a king. And notice what she says in verse 2. What, my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows. Notice, notice what she says in verse 3. And by the way, this is good advice from a mom. Give not thy strength unto women nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. She says, look, Lemuel, there, you are a king, and there is a way that destroyeth kings. I say, well, what is that way? Look at verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, 
nor for princes strong drink. You say, well, why? Why should not a king drink wine? Because of what we've already been talking about. Look at verse 5. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any uh, of the afflicted. If you drink, you're going to forget the law of God. You're going to pervert judgments. Get, look, look at verse 6. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. The Bible teaches here that it is not for kings to drink wine. And in fact, here's what she said. She said, hey, give, that to, give, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And I, I love how, you know, the most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you're saved and you're not perishing, then you're not him that is ready to perish, so you shouldn't drink. And by the way, if you're washed in the blood of Christ, you've been made a king, and it's not for kings. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of, the he- of heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. The Bible says if you're a king, if you are a king, you are better than someone that should drink alcohol. He says, not for you, if you're a king. And then in Revelation he says, hey, if you've been washing the blood of Jesus Christ, he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Go to Leviticus chapter number 10. Leviticus chapter number 10, look at verse 9. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 9. Leviticus chapter number 10 and verse number 9. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 10 and verse number 9. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 9. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse number 9. The Bible says this. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 9. The Bible says, Do not drink wine nor strong drink. Now who's he talking to? Thou nor thy sons with thee when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation. Who went into the tabernacle of the congregation? The priest. God tells the priest, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, talking to the priest. And notice what he says, Lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. God told the priest, don't drink wine, don't drink strong drink, neither you, know, you nor thy sons with thee. He told the kings, don't drink wine. He said, it's not for kings, it's not for kings to drink wine, O Lemuel. And then in, in Revelation, he says, and by the way, if you've been washed in the blood of Christ, you're a king and you're a priest. So what does that mean? It means you shouldn't drink wine. Go, go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is the last passage we'll look at, Ephesians chapter 5. I remember when I was in the Air Force, I was in tech school in Wichita Falls, Texas. We were there for about six months, and I was in one of my classes there. And I don't know how the conversation came up. The, the, the instructor had something they had to go take care of, and they were gone, and we're just kind of sitting there. There's a group of, I don't know, maybe ten of us there. And somehow, I don't, I don't remember how, but somehow it came up in conversation that I don't drink alcohol. You know, and they're, they're asking me, oh, so you don't drink? And I said, no, I, I don't drink. They said, well, why is that? I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian, and the Bible says that you shouldn't drink alcohol. And, and immediately one guy, well, I, I'm a Christian, and I drink alcohol. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that changes everything, right? You know, no, he's like, well, I, you know, well, my pastor said that, you know, you can drink water, and you can drink alcohol in moderation. And I said, well, you know, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. You know, the Bible's very clear that we shouldn't drink alcohol. And I remember they started saying, they said, well, well, you, you just think you're better than us? You just think you're, you're better because you're a Christian, you just think you're better? And this didn't go over very well, but I remember looking at them and I said, you know what, actually, I do think I'm better than you. And you said, well, that's not, 
That's not humble. Maybe it's not. But here's what I said. I said, you know what? I believe that in Christ I am a king and I'm a priest and I'm not to drink alcohol. And maybe it's for you because you're perishing. And maybe it's for you because you're a loser. And maybe it's for you because you're ready to die and you've got nothing going for you. But if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you've got something going for you. It's called the Holy Spirit. You've got something going for you. It's called the new life. You've got something going for you. It's called having victory and, and being victorious in Jesus Christ. I'm not perishing. I don't need alcohol. I'm a king. I'm a priest in Jesus Christ. And you know what, you kids in this room, don't let anybody ever make you feel like, well, if you don't drink this, you're not one of us. You know what? You're not one of them. You're better than that. And you're better than them. In Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse number 18. Ephesians 5 and verse number 18. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. And by the way, that's where wine always leads to excess. But be filled with the Spirit. See, you know, here's what wine does for you. It, ta- it takes control of your body. And it causes you to do things that you would not normally do if you weren't. You say things you wouldn't say. You pick fights with people you wouldn't pick a fight with if you weren't drunk. That's what alcohol does for you. You know what some of you need to do? Is quit drinking so much alcohol and get filled with the Spirit of God. Maybe you start doing things, because here's what the Spirit does for, does, God does for you. It gives you boldness and allows you to do things that you never do. See, some of you say, well, I would never go out and knock on a door. You would if you had the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says, hey, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But he says, hey, that's not for you, king, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's what you need, and that's what I need. You say, well, do you guys look down on people that, you know, have had their lives ruined through alcohol? Look, we try to help people, and we try to love people. The Bible obviously teaches that you're not allowed, you shouldn't have drunkards in, in the congregation, but... We don't look down on people for their past. We, the whole point of Jesus Christ is to put that behind you and to become a new creature. We want to help people. Yes. But at the same time, if we can prevent some of these kids from going down that road, and if we could paint an accurate picture for them and let them know that the Bible teaches that drinking alcohol produces vomit and filthiness, and it's not clean, and it's not cool, and it destroys your body, and it leaves you vulnerable to be taken advantage of, and you're not in control, then hopefully one day, you guys will be able to stand up and say, that's not for me. Maybe for you, but not for me. Let's bow our heads and have a word.